0: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to a throwback installment of the Danny Mac Podcast here on the Bet Rivers Network. It's been almost 25 years. Since I've talked to my guest today, he still is the Bears' single-season record holder for passing yards with 38-38. That's easy to remember. 29 touchdowns, that was the 95 season, but his life has been more eventful, and uh, in many ways, we're going to talk about some of the more meaningful things that have happened in his life after a little football. Eric Kramer, number 12, thanks for your time, and welcome to the
1: show. How you feeling? I I feel great, and thanks for having me on. This is fun to be back. Any time to come back and touch base with uh, the Chicago faithful is uh, is fun.
0: I want to start your story in January of ninety two. Um, gas was a dollar four in America average. <laughs> Nirvana had just produced its Nevermind album, and uh, Bush was in office—the first Bush. Right. That was when you authored the last playoff victory for the Detroit Lions as you thrashed the Cowboys at the Silverdome. Man, this is a tortured fan base. I'm rooting for the Motor City Kitties this year. Does it are, are you rooting for them or do you do you like having that that distinction that you're the last guy to win a playoff game since the Eisenhower administration?
1: <laughs> no, I don't like that distinction. I was just on um Last uh, week, in fact, leading up to the game, because uh, this team went into this, this year's Lions team went into this game against Baltimore, five and one, just like in 91, we were five and one. And um, there was a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between the two teams. The, the one thing I was saying um, was that unlike this year, uh, back in the 90s, um, they didn't keep that team together for some reason. And uh, this one I think though is going to, they they seem to be making, I'll say this, the bears and the lions since the nineties, since I was with both teams have kind of mirrored each other in terms of futility until now. And I think the lions have done a good job top to bottom starting with Brad Holmes and uh, Dan Campbell and it's just the culture and of type of player that they're they're uh, gravitating to. Case in point, David Montgomery. I mean, he's the guy that I pointed to. Like, you could have a team of David Montgomerys, and that that sort of core type of person that will get you to the Super Bowl. And they obviously saw that too, and then got him. and And I think that. I root for the Lions just like I root for the Bears. And I think that this game that they just played against Baltimore, probably, it's been a while since the Lions have been patted on the back during the season. And so here they are. And this could be, this could serve, it's only gotten two losses now. And the first one was in overtime, I think, right, to Seattle. So this is kind of a nice during the season wake up call that I think can probably, it's not like they're, it's not like their organization or the team all of a sudden became bad overnight. I think they just ran into a buzzsaw and had a bad day, which I think will wake them up here going forward. You know, when
0: I've thought about the most tortured fan bases in the NFL, Cleveland is, is the gold medalist. No
1: question. Number one. They take the the, gold medal
0: in the NFC though. It's clearly the Lions, the only NFC team not to get to a Super Bowl. And I have a friend from Detroit, Len Casper, the radio voice of the White Sox. He said the Detroit fans would trade all of those Red Wings banners for one frickin' Super Bowl. What was special about Lions fans during your time there?
1: Well, I think that, like your friend could attest to, they are rabid, like... They go nuts. You mentioned the playoff game. Back then, that was in the Silverdome. So in the four years I was in Detroit, I had never gone downtown. I didn't even drive, didn't even, for any reason, go there. Now their stadium's downtown. But back in the Pontiac Silverdome days, that was an 80-plus-thousand-seat stadium, which was packed for the game you just mentioned against the Cowboys. And it was deafening. I mean ridiculously deafening. And so, you know, n- now when I go back to a game and i I'm going to go to one this year. In fact, I'm, this, this coming week, I'll be the chargers are playing the bears, which I'll be going to, uh, cause I'm a charter season ticket holder. And then later that night on the red eye, uh, my girlfriend and I are going to be taking the red eye to Detroit to watch the Monday night game against the Raiders. And, Every time I go back there, now four fields downtown across the street from uh, Tiger Stadium, again, it's jam-packed. And it's just a special place, I think, when you're winning, which I guarantee you, not having been there this year yet, um, the fact that the Lions are being talked about as one of the top teams, it's going to feel like crazy back there like you've heard obviously okay so if I my son Dylan is a ridiculous Kansas City Chiefs fan I mean ridiculous he fell in love with them back when uh he was like I don't know seven years old or something he's 25 now but he um fell in love with them back when Priest Holmes broke some touchdown record or something (laughs) so if there's anybody and he this was in LA so there was like a, a, a fan base of him In L.A. as with the Kansas City Chiefs. And so now he kind of hung in there. So you've heard of this sea of red in uh, in Kansas City. And I took Dylan back to a couple games back there. And it's crazy. Like, that's Detroit's fan base. They're they're like that when you win.
0: 1994, you come to Chicago and Bears fans just were screaming for somebody to make us never talk about Sid Luckman anymore uh in year two you set the franchise standard with almost 3,900 yards passing 29 touchdowns only 10 picks but uh, the season ends with disappointment nonetheless uh what do you remember about the mid 90s in Chicago more than anything and what were the who were the guys you formed
1: relationships with that still exist today well uh so what I remember about playing there, first of all, is just how unique, uh, playing in Chicago is in fact where the stadium is located being downtown is also unique. There's not a lot, there isn't another one of those in the NFL. And, um, just the way the city and the fans, uh, react, uh, they, they just, they can't get enough of Bears football. Like if, if I, the one thing I feel bad about is that we didn't have the success that I was hoping for. And I think that a lot of people were hoping for um, in terms of wins and losses. And, you know, a, a lot of that I attribute to, like, if you would have taken the coaching staff that we had with the Bears and put them in Detroit with that talent, r- ridiculous. But we didn't have that situation in Chicago. And back then, you know, like we didn't have back then what I feel the Chicago bears have today. So I know this has kind of been a rocky start to the Ryan Paul's Matt Eberflus era, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of similarities to what I see building here that maybe some others don't. And I think that, you know, when you asked me about who I formed relationships with and still have, Curtis Conway used to live out here. And he and I ran a, a quarterback receiver, uh, what would you call it, workshop, I guess, or camp on Sundays together for, I don't know, six, seven years. And Big Cat, I still see whenever I go back and play in the golf tournament, the Bears Alumni Golf Tournament. So um, I'm going to get in touch with him. Jerry Fontenot is another one who still lives back there. And uh, so, you know, today I'm putting together what's going to be a sponsored uh, passing camp. And it's going to be people like me. And uh, we're going to work with centers uh, along with both sides of the ball. And I'm talking to Jerry Fontenot the other day saying, you know, Jerry, do you know anybody out here that, you know, would want to do that? And he goes, well, what about me? I can fly out there for a couple months. And, and I said, okay, great. You can stay with me. And, you know, so I think that, um, you know, I don't see a bunch of, but I'll just say this, whenever I go back there, which is every year to the alumni game, um, I see a bunch of people that I played with like Fabian Bones still lives there and um, hmm. Greg, uh, oh gosh, what's his last name? He was a receiver. He's, he's a, he's an, opt- uh, 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 certain now, uh, I'm drawing blanks on Greg's. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute, but, um, anyway, I, I just, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, Brian Harlan, uh, was the media relations director when I was there with the bears, at least the first few years. And Scott Hagel obviously is now. Um, and so, you know, I keep in touch. I just talked to Brian yesterday and, um, so yeah i mean i i love any chance i get to go back to chicago i do and uh so it's it's a fun town
0: brian harlan uh during his run as the bears pr guy was was super cool to me until the fall of 97 now a few years later he became my agent and and still is among my closest confidants. but eric my uh My longtime listeners would hammer me if I didn't bring this up. In September of 97, en route to an 0-7 start for the Bears, a 36-year-old sports talk show host in a bunker on the northwest side of Chicago muscled up and bitched about Eric Kramer smiling on the sidelines after he had been pulled from a bad loss, and you and I had an unfriendly exchange. I was surprised to find some stories about it when I Google-searched you for the interview today but i guess we bickered for 9 minutes and it, it gave us some tremendous sound bites for a number of years hey easy pal who's this and uh and uh it, it's something i did as a 36 year old host it, and it was good for me because you want to be polarizing 50% thought i was an asshole 50% were saying good for you
1: but it's You're not like the something if... in Vegas. All you want is the Vig. You don't That's care if you win or right? Who wins, who loses, right?
0: <laughs> I wanted the Vig. Uh, but uh, I, I you know your life has been eventful, but I'm assuming you remember some of that and it's like if you sure. needed any other issues with some injuries and a bad start to the season and some deckhead saying you shouldn't be well, smiling. I wouldn't know, have done that 5 years later. It's
1: funny you bring that up because it you, you weren't much older than me. So I think around that time, so I was born in 64, so I'd have been 33 then. And uh, so I, in a way, like when I went to Chicago, you know, I came out of nowhere. Like I finished college as at NC State as the ACC Player of the Year. Didn't get drafted. Went to, mm-hmm. to um, try it out with, uh, uh, what was I? Uh, Atlanta. No, no, no. As an undrafted free agent, I tried out oh, in, okay. in uh, New Orleans and okay. got cut. And the only reason I ever ended up in the NFL or ever had anything to do with football after that was the strike in 1987. And so um, and then I, I played well enough in the last game that they kept me. And uh, but then the next year I got cut again. So I ended up in Canada and I had to call my way back into the NFL By calling the Lions I called all the teams I could think of, and then the Lions were the one to call me back. And I found out through writing this book that it was June Jones who we we at that time, June was the quarterback coach and offense coordinator for the Houston Oilers. And they had drafted a receiver we had in the first round named Hayward Jeffries. Mm -hmm. And and going back to those days and even the strike. Um, June said, Hey, I, when I, ca- after I had called, he said, Hey, yeah, this guy can play. So I li- they flew me out there and I literally was sitting in the lobby, got called into Mouse Davis's, who was a, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. He comes walking into his office. He goes, who are you? And I go, Oh, okay. <laughs> so who I was was there based on June. And so we literally got in, so there was nowhere to work out because the Silverdome turf was up. There was nobody to throw to. And so we got in a car, we got in Mouse's car and drove down to Ann Arbor. And I literally dropped back and threw passes to wherever June was standing. That was my workout. And Alan Trammell was hitting in the batting cage (laughs) <laughs> that was set up in the end zone <laughs> so my story it quite honestly is very similar to tyson bajans very similar
0: thanks for listening to the danny Mac podcast on the bet rivers network